morning. We are in uh, the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter 5. While you're looking at that, I wanted to just remind you all that uh, as you're exiting the building, not right now, but at the end of the service as you're exiting the building, we have these Saturate Houston uh, door hangers that you can pick up as you're, and uh, you can hang it on one of your neighbor's homes. Uh, you can place it different places. You can give it to somebody. It, it includes the, um, the, the movie of Jesus. It has a track inside of it. And then it also has an invitation to welcome people to our church. So I would encourage you to uh, pick one up as you are leaving. We are in Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 15 through 17. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, this is the Word of the Lord. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. Father, we want to understand your will for our lives, for this church. I pray now that your spirit would work in us. Father, not just to illumine our minds, but to help us to put into practice your will. Father, there's none of us here, including myself, primarily myself, that can do your will apart from your Spirit's enabling. And I pray, Father, that your Spirit would work through me to obey your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. There's been, uh, over the last couple of Uh, days or so, uh, information or a story about a revival that has broke out in in a college, I think it's in Kentucky. And as this revival has broke out, it has uh, supposedly spread to some other Bible colleges and universities where uh, people are gathered inside the chapel area and they're singing songs, there's preaching, there's uh, times of prayer. Now, let's imagine for a moment that we are in one of those Bible colleges where this revival has, has happened. And by revival, what I mean is that individuals are uh, in tune, aware that they are sinners, and that uh, God is a holy God, and that they must turn from their sin and go to God. That's what I mean by revival. So, uh, just so that we're on the same page, um, people are breaking out into revival, and, and this is what's happened. Individuals have, have uh, realized that they're a sinner. They realize that God is holy. They're turning from their sin, and uh, they're turning to the Lord. And you're there seeing this happening. People praying, people coming before the altar and so forth, and all of a sudden the person beside you turns to you and says, I need to be discipled. Will you please disciple me? What what would you do at that point? Where would you start? 
Some of you all here have probably discipled many, many individuals, and you intuitively would know right where to start. Your mind would just go into that gear, and you would just start working and investing in this person's life. Uh, some here maybe haven't really uh, discipled a whole lot, but at some point they went through a discipleship program, and so after five, ten seconds, their mind starts to work and kind of remembers what they went through and says, yeah, I could do that. Uh, let's meet in two weeks. And you're hoping that in that two weeks' time you can come up with something, right? Um, and then others maybe might be thinking, um, what in the world would be discipleship? Uh, what would that process be? And, and as you start thinking about discipleship and so forth, you might remember that verse in Luke chapter 14, verse 26 and 27, where, where Jesus is talking and he says, if anyone comes to me, he does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So you start thinking through that and processing that in your mind. And, and so you think about, well, Jesus also told his disciples in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, to, to follow him and he would make them uh, fishers of men. So you would conclude that your discipleship process is really just two lessons. The first lesson is how to hate your parents. And the second lesson is how to evangelize. And in two easy steps, that person is discipled, right? And you say, well, uh, that might not be what we're looking for as a discipleship process. And so this has been a problem. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Uh, what does this mean? I mean, it's one thing to be a disciple of, of Jesus at the time, to be Ma uh, Matthew or, or to be um, John, and you see Jesus is there and he's walking and you're just walking behind him. And then he turns and he walks this way and you just follow behind him and you say, this is the process of following Jesus. But for the last 2,000 years, we have had Christ seated at the right hand of the Father. And we're down here trying to figure out how do you follow someone who is not physically present right here? How do you do that? And that has been debated over and over and over again for the last 2,000 years. There was uh, some point in history in the last, I guess, uh, back in the 60s or so, where uh, there was a, a quest for the historical Jesus. And a group of scholars started uh, trying to figure out what, what, is it, what does it mean to, to know Jesus? And so they started going through the Gospels, and, and as they were searching through the Gospels, they started underlining certain aspects of, of what Jesus said and, and the moral teachings of it. But they came to the Scriptures with a sense of skepticism and doubt, and so they, they said none of the None of the miracles we're going to accept that. And we're not going to accept that whole thing about Jesus being the Son of God, but we'll accept his moral teachings. But pretty soon, his moral teachings didn't really have any authority because he's no longer the Son of God and, and none of his uh, miracles held. But here has been the quest, the, 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 the desire, how do you follow Jesus? Now, some have put... 
Well, if we're going to follow Jesus, we, we must know the Gospels. We must know the Gospels. And so people have, have searched through the Gospels on how to develop an ethic on how to live. But this, uh, this causes a little bit of a problem because all of the Gospel accounts are, are pre-cross, right? Uh, Pre-Paschal. It's before the cross. And the cross had a major impact on how we live. I mean, for example, if you look at the Beatitudes, it specifically is talking about the kingdom of heaven, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And unless we want to argue that we are right now living in the kingdom of heaven, which has all types of interpretive issues, uh, it would be hard to just say that there's a straight carryover to ourselves. Furthermore, as we look at Paul and he, what he's advocating in Ephesians, he's not advocating for a kingdom of God, but a body of Christ where Christ is the head and the, the church is in the body and it's obeying Christ. So what is discipleship? We think about discipleship. Paul has been presenting a certain ethic in chapters 4 and 5 that we've been looking at, a certain ethic, a certain way of how to live. And he has based this upon what he has presented in chapters 1, 2, and 3. This is, uh, he's been presenting in chapter 4, how to walk, how to conduct ourselves. And what Paul has been presenting as this walking, for example, chapter 4, verse 1, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called, it has been countercultural. It's been countercultural. Nowhere does he say, walk in a, in a manner that feels good to you. He, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, walk in a way that, 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 that you like. He doesn't say that. He calls us to walk in a specific way that's in accordance with Christ, not in accordance with what we want. In fact, it never says once, oh, what would you like to bring to the table? And maybe we can marry these things together. No, he doesn't. It's only one way, and it's Christ's way that he presents. Now, what we're going to be looking at today is what we've been looking at the last three Sundays, and I've very purposely slowed down. Uh, we've been going pretty slow, I do admit. But I purposely have slowed down in these three verses because these three are very key to the whole discipleship process. Th these three are extremely important for discipleship. So we're looking at believers must reject the way of folly by living in a skillful manner according to God's word. The idea of living in a skillful manner is kind of like uh, uh, someone who is an artist. They haven't developed that in just one time. Uh, it, it, there's no one who, who goes out to the, to the forest and finds trees that grow like the wood that's in the piano. They, they have taken trees, they have cut them down, they have turned them and so forth to make a piano. This idea of living skillfully is taking the situations in our life and using God's word to live wisely. And that's what we're seeing in these three verses. Now, we looked at the first one, which is verse 15, which is to carefully look at your steps. Carefully look at your steps. And, and we saw that walking in wisdom is making decisions according to Christ, our head. Uh, it's quite unfortunate that we wake up in the morning and think, Hot dog, today, today, I think I am the image of Christ. And then it gets around 
8.30, and you realize it's not quite the image of Christ. There's, there's, there's a big gap in, in trying to become the image of Christ. But, but that's the idea, is we are to make decisions in accordance to Christ, our head. And it takes continual readjustment of this. It, it's not like, I, I did that once, and now I'm good. It, it takes a continual turning back to, what does Christ want me to do? Furthermore, we saw in verse 16 that we're to carefully take advantage of our time. I, I did not bring this out last week, but this is a, a, a statement of hope. A statement of hope. that The days are evil, but Paul is saying that the believer is to take advantage of this season in life. Not, not to go lock themselves up in a dark room and kind of hide or, or go find a nice bunker and, and, and have all types of provisions and just stay there until Christ returns. No, the, the person is supposed to, the believer is supposed to take advantage of life even though the days are evil. Whatever season they're in, they're, they're supposed to take advantage of it, to redeem it. Now, that takes quite a bit of hope. Because you go through situations in your life and you think, what's the point? What is the point of this? This is ridiculous. I'm just going to go and buy some property off in Montana where there's more cows than people, and I'm just going to get away from everything. Uh, I, have, I, I don't know if you guys have a spot that you think about. I think about uh, Yivia. It's a part of Spain that's in France. It's a tiny little town. Supposedly Calvin... Uh, wanted to go, and he didn't want to live in Zurich. He wanted to live outside of uh, Zurich, out in the rural part, and just just study, just study. And I think, well, wouldn't that be just fantastic to just study? All day long, just studying. Uh, my wife's like, no, that would be terrible. I don't want that life, right? Uh, Redeem the time. It requires a lot of hope, a lot of hope. Now, what we're going to be looking at today is that we carefully grasp the will of our Lord. We carefully grasp the will of our Lord. That we see in verse 17. Now, uh, as, as we're looking at this, the, the verse 17 has two imperatives, two commands. The first is presented as a negative command, to, to not do something. And then the second imperative, the second <coughs> command presents something positive. I thought this might happen, and I came prepared with a little hauls. So we interrupt our program, and then I'm going to get some water. Is this fresh water? Hopefully. <clears throat> I didn't see anything floating in it, so that's good. The first is a negative command, and then there's a positive command. So here we go. In verse uh, 17, it starts off with so then, which is a, uh, it, it gives a cause, a cause based on an argument already developed in verses 15, 16. So because of these things, you could translate it, because of these things, it, it, it marks uh, the cause that you should do these two things. Because of, do not be, that word uh, to be is this um, uh how you live, how you are, your, your essence, your person, what, what you are deep down inside, this is your essence. It says, do not be foolish. Now, some translations want to translate the word 
unwise of verse 15 and the word foolish of verse 17 as one and the same. But it should not be done that way because they are two different words. There is some overlap in the meaning, but they're, they're distinct. Uh, this, in verse 17, is a lack of prudence or good judgment. Uh, this word uh, finds itself here, uh, and it's different than the unwise because here it's on, in verse 15. The word unwise is the word wisdom with a, with a negation in the front of it. So instead of being wise, they're unwise. So looking at this word, uh, verse 17, it, it occurs 11 times in the New Testament. Uh, for example, Jesus used this word in Luke chapter uh, 12. Uh, it, he's going in, in, he's telling this parable of this uh, rich person. And this rich person uh, sees his crop and sees all the crops that he has. And he says, man, I, I have so much. I'm going to tear down my barn and I'm going to build new barns. And uh, I, that way I can have even more crops. And God comes to this person and he calls them a fool because he has dedicated himself to having earthly riches rather than being rich towards God. We see that in verse uh, 21. Uh, so in this case, this person, it's not that they are not smart on making money, extremely smart on making money, but rather they have ignored the natural way of man, which is everyone's going to die at some point. That he, this person has ignored that and has pursued life as if they're going to continue living forever and ever and ever. Uh, Paul used this word in Romans chapter 2, verse 20. The context starts in verse 17 where he's addressing Jews who consider themselves to be teachers of law. And they teach the law, but they don't put it into practice themselves. They are urging others to do it, but they don't do it themselves. Uh, Peter uses this word, or he, he, he uses it in 1 Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 15. So in, in this case that we see of verse 17, this is somebody who ignores the natural way of things. They, they, they don't do, they, they're not cognizant of, they don't act appropriately towards what is supposed to be natural. Now, as we look at here, he says, don't, don't be like this. In your essence, who you are, this should not be your characteristic, that when people think of you, when they contemplate you, they're not saying, this person is a fool. Rather, there's a huge, huge contrast. Uh, the word that's used for uh, this contrast here is a rather straight, uh, strong one. It says, but be, uh, sorry, I jumped. To verse 18. Uh, foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That uh, word understand has more uh, than just understanding intellectual facts, but rather it has the idea of comprehending how your information can be used in other situations, in other situations that might not be related at all to one with the other. It has to do with having an information, but more than just having the information, knowing how this information can be used in different types of situations. Uh, for example, this word is used 26 times in the New Testament, 
And it uh, mostly occurs in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Luke, uh, Mark, and Luke. But it does not occur at all in the Gospel of John or any of John's writings, Hebrews, Peter, or Jude. It's used, for example, in Matthew chapter 13. So let's go over to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, here Jesus starts going into uh, parables. And uh, he kind of changes his ministry. It goes from presenting the kingdom to the rejection of the kingdom. And so he, he's going to speak specifically to his disciples. And in Matthew chapter uh, 13, verse 13, he says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. That's the word. In other words, uh, information is coming in that's being perceived through the eye and through the ear, but it's not having an effect on how the person is living out their life. There's no understanding. Uh, verse 14, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull with their ears they uh, scarcely hear and they have closed their eyes otherwise uh, they would see with their ear uh, with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and I would heal them that understand where it's uh, said in verse 15 14 and 13 has the implication of receiving information and acting appropriately based on the information that you have now uh, as we look at this, going back to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, he says, uh, understand, what are we to understand? The will, to understand the will, specifically the will of the Lord. Will has this idea of a desire, a wish, some objective thing that will happen. And it's not just a will in general, but it's the will of the Lord. What is the will of the Lord? It, this desire belongs to someone. It's not just arbitrary, the universe's will, or, or anything like that. It's specifically to understand what the will of the Lord is, to be able to understand things of the Lord and then put those things into practice, to, to, to take them and put them into practice. Now, this is a very important thing to do. Uh, you think about the different places that you have worked in your life and uh, companies that you have worked for. And, and I would dare say that um, um, those companies are not mentioned anywhere in, in the scriptures, N not a single place. It would be foolish to, to look at the scriptures and read it from cover to cover and say, the Bible says nothing about X, Y, Z where I work. So therefore, this has nothing to do with me and my work day to day. And that, that would be a rather foolish way of approaching life. Rather, it has the idea of understanding who Christ is and taking that information and applying it to a situation like, for example, work. So how do we apply this? How do we apply it to our lives? Well, let's, let's consider here this negative imperative and this positive imperative. We're to carefully grasp the will of the Lord. 
And uh, to do this, we cannot ignore our new nature. We cannot ignore our new nature. This word for foolish, uh, do not be foolish, has the idea of somebody who ignores the natural way of things. And what Paul has presented in Ephesians is that those who are in Christ are a new creature. They are into the body of Christ. There is something new about them, a transformation that has happened. The fool would be the person who continues living their life as if that new nature had not happened in their life at all. Nothing has changed. They continue living day by day as if everything is the same. This would be uh, crazy to think of because Paul presents based on what we see in, in Christ, based on what we see in chapters 1, 2, and 3, is that Paul presents a new ethic for how to live, a, a new purpose for living. And only the fool would ignore those things and continue living how they have been living. Now, why would somebody ignore the new nature? Why would somebody ignore the new nature? Well, there's, there could be a couple reasons. Uh, one reason is maybe that person is not really saved. And I don't say this lightly like to try to scare people or anything like that. I don't, I don't do that. I've heard of testimonies that the, the church that sent us as missionaries, there was a guy, he, he went to Bible college, he went to the church, he was, became a deacon in the church, and uh, one good day the pastor was preaching, and he came under conviction that he wasn't saved. And he came forward and wanted to accept Christ as a Savior. He said, I've been basing all my trust in my knowledge. I've been basing all my trust in my morals. I've been basing all my trust in, in, in a date that I wrote down in the Bible. But my faith is not in Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross. I, I am believing all types of stuff. But I'm not saved. See, what saves us is not a date. It's not a prayer. It's not information, but it's trust in Jesus Christ. When we look at, for example, Matthew chapter 13, let's go back to there. There's that parable. And remember, Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower. And, and he's, uh, the, the sower is uh, throwing out the seed. And the seed represents the good news, the gospel. Now, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there is the gospel which tells the person to have faith in God. Uh, what saves us is faith in God. Now, when we see here in, um, in chapter 13, verse 4, we're given this first uh, situation. It says, and as, the sower, uh, and as he sowed, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Then in verse 19, we see that he starts to give uh, the, the interpretation of the parable. We can uh, start reading in verse 18. Here then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, that's our word, that word that we saw in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. They don't understand it. They perceive the information of the gospel, but they do not take it in for themselves to, to accept it. They don't understand it. That evil one comes and snatches it away, uh, what has been sown in, in his heart. In contrast, we see the, uh, where the seed falls in good soil. And we see that in verse 23. 
where Jesus gives the interpretation. Verse 23, it says, And the one on whom the seed has sown on, good, on the good soil, the man who hears the word and understands, again, our same word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. The difference between the two is not the information, but it's the understanding of it, the, the, the taking it in for themselves. Uh, furthermore, we can take this a little bit further and take it into our church context, where in Ephesians chapter 2, 5 through 10, the person is saved through faith. In verse 10, for what? For good works. It, it changes the way we live. Or it should change the way we live, as what Paul has presented here. Now, we have to ask ourselves, why would there not be a change? And I'm not wanting anybody to doubt their salvation. That's not my point. I've heard people, they do a really good job, and uh, I don't know how they do it, but they, they, they cause people to doubt. And my point is not to doubt, but if there is no change in lifestyle, one has to wonder what's going on. Well, there could be another thing that's going on, which is that person has never been discipled. Uh, discipleship is a process where the person grows to become more and more like Christ. That person has has heard the gospel, has put their faith in it, but uh, then somebody comes along to help them grow. Now, we see from Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, that uh, to go into all nations, it's not just to tell them of the commands, but teach them to observe the commands, which is a big difference. It, it, it's, it's not just to say, this is what Christ wants of you, and bye-bye, it's, it's to help the person to observe, to put into practice. Isn't it absurd to be in the supermarket and see a kid that's 10 years old acting like a 2-year-old? Isn't that absurd? They're like on the floor. And you're like, oh my word, what's happened there? It's like they've never been taught. They've never been trained. And unfortunately, sometimes uh, us believers, we lack the discipleship. Now, we are a new creature in Christ. We have a new nature. Therefore, we're called to observe all that Christ has, been, has commanded us. A third reason could be that we're in rebellion. Christ is ahead, but I'm not going to submit to him. I'm going to be the head. I will determine for myself how to live. I will do what I think is best. What does the person need to do? Well, God is, is rich in mercy, in compassion. He, he compels us. The Spirit uh, 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 works within us, convicts us of our sin, compels us to come back to Him, to confess our sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. What should we do if we found ourselves in rebellion against him? Is to confess and turn to him. And there's forgiveness, there's mercy, there's grace. Now, we're to carefully grasp the will of the Lord. And the way we do this is by carefully balancing our knowing and our doing. By carefully balancing our knowing and our doing. Paul presents a balance here. And this is where 
putting the three verses together is really important. There is knowing the will of the Lord in verse 17, and there is the walking as wise of verse 15. There's both aspects here in this section. It has, it has what is discipleship? Discipleship is a balanced process of helping individuals know God and obey God. That's what discipleship is. That, that's, that's what I do in every single sermon. I explain the text, and then how do we put this text applicable in our lives? That, that's what discipleship is, is they have to have information about the Lord, who He is, and how does that affect my life for change? That, that's discipleship. And we're all in constant need of discipleship. Because you wake up in the morning and you say, Hot dog, I'm, I am the image of Christ today. And you realize, no. No. We need to change. We need to confess. We need help. We need the body of Christ to come alongside and walk with us and say, no, no, not, not like that. Like this. Ah, yes. It's balancing. Unfortunately, here in the States, we have the benefit of having a ton of resources. We have Christian radio stations. We have theology books that have been translated from the patristics, uh, from different other countries of the world. We have all types of information. And usually the church in America does not lack information. Unfortunately, many times we have our information levels way up here, but our practice is way down here. Many churches around the world uh, don't have the benefit of information, and they have a lot of practice of things that they want to do, but they don't have any information by which to guide them. What's supposed to happen in our life is a balance to walk as wise and know the will of God, to understand, have the implications of how that's supposed to act. A balance between what I know and what I practice. Now, think about that a little bit in, in our life. Discipleship is knowing God and doing His will. We have to ask ourselves, do, do I know God? I mean, do I really know God? So of course I know God. Let's imagine for a moment that we're on the Sea of Galilee and we're in a little boat. Not a huge boat, just a little boat. And it's storming. And, and as it's storming, all of a sudden we see that somebody is walking across the water towards us. We start to kind of get scared because we, <laughs> we don't have a lot of experience with people walking on the water. But then Christ says, hey, it's me. And you say, ah, oh, okay, it's, it's, it's Christ. Would my knowledge of God encourage me to say, ask me to come out to you? Or would we want to stay safely in the boat and have him calm the storm? See, there was one in the boat that said, if you invite me to come out, I'll walk on the water too. See, his information about God 
caused him to do something radical, incredible. Yeah, he, he sunk and got pulled back up and he kept on walking back to the boat. But knowledge of God did not just leave him in the boat. He said, if you are God, invite me and I'll also take a step out there. What does your knowledge of God push you to go do? I mean, if you really, really know God, but what, what does it make you communicate to others? The gospel? But what else? Our knowledge should transform our life. If we really know God, what radical thing are we going to do? What is it going to push us towards? People say, but those people at that church are crazy. Did you hear what they did? They, they stepped out of the boat. Not, not a real boat. They stepped out of the boat. They, they, they're crazy over there because the knowledge of God transformed their life. Does our knowledge of God change the way we act? We might have a doctorate in theology, but if it doesn't change our behavior, it's really worthless. It just is. Paul presents here, and this is the discipleship thing, to walk or do and to know. To know, to understand, and to walk. They're balanced. Everything that gets taught by me is this, to know God and to put it into practice. So we think about believers must reject the way of folly and live in a skillful manner according to God's will. If you're at that revival and that guy turns to you and says, or that girl turns to you and says, can I, will you please disciple me? Would you be able to do it? Say, yes, I, I know some information about God. And, and I can teach you how to have that impact your life forever. Or will you say, no, I, I know some things about God. It just makes me kind of not do anything. Or maybe I do things for God, but I don't know really why I'm doing those things. You're not going to be able to do that unless you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And, and I hope that each of you has a relationship with Jesus Christ that you can really understand because you have believed in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. For other of us here, we are probably saved. But does our knowledge of God change how we act? how we behave. Let's pray. Father, I pray now as we go into this time of invitation, I pray that your spirit would work in us. Father, it's to, to know and to do. To do and to know. I pray, Father, if there's someone here that's not saved, that today they can accept Christ as their Savior. Father, that they'll turn to the person beside them and say, please tell me how I can be saved. Father, if there's other of us here who maybe our knowledge is not uh, equal to our doing. Or Father, maybe our, our doing is not equal to our knowledge. I pray that we can repent of that and that we can start putting it into practice and living a balanced life for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.